Hello and welcome to the Soccer Speakeasy. Today is uh, Thursday, the 11th of May, 2023. It's, uh, what time is it, Bill? It's 12.31 p.m. As we begin to record, that, of course, is Bailey Johnson, our fine crew beat writer. At the controls today, per usual, is uh, Patrick Flaherty, the father, you and me. Uh, Kyle Robertson is out of town and couldn't be with us today. Well, youth hockey tournament going on. Yes, kids, uh, kids, kids player. Um, heading into week twelve, off a of bye week, are are the crew. Um, they won three in a row by a combined twelve to one, and then just prior to this bye week, uh, uh, they went o uh, two and one, um, and actually were shut out for the first time this this season. Um, Thus, they slid out of the top four in the East, now sit at sixth place um, in the conference with uh, 14 points, 4-4-2, four, four, 19 goals for, 12 against, plus seven. Um, Bailey, what have they been doing over the last 10 to 11 days? Yeah, so they lost to Inter-Miami, their last MLS game on April 29th. Um, Kucha Hernandez returned from his knee injury to make That's his, right, we didn't cover that We didn't cover that because we, we took right. a bye week too. I went to Houston, all right, we all took some time off. Well, thanks for uh, for putting the show uh, back on the, on the proper steering path here. Uh, let's begin with Miami. Yes, uh, they lost 2-1. to one. It was Kucho's first MLS game. He had played... Um, midweek against Indy 11 in the U.S. Open Cup, and then they brought him in for his first MLS start um, since his knee injury. He missed about six and a half, seven weeks. Scores a Cucho Hernandez banger um, in like the 15th minute right after Inter-Miami had taken the lead. Um, and then Miami scored again late in the first half um, off a corner kick. Patrick Schulte and Philip Quinton got a little confused on who needed to be covering who off that corner. Pat went up to grab the ball, whiffed on it, and Leo Campana scored his second goal. And then the crew, as was the theme um, against yeah. Charlotte the previous week, could not break down and, Miami's low block for the second half. And against Indy as well. I mean, yeah, uh, they did. They struggled with the it US, against Indy as well. You know, teams just back up the bus yeah, and they teams, bang away, and they they don't find they don't find a route. Exactly. They you know they've played against teams now that have put eight, nine, ten guys behind the ball and just expect like let the crew have it and see what they can do around them. And the answer is so far, not very much. They did as I'm skipping ahead a little bit. They did face a little bit of that last night um, in the open cup. It was a different situation, but there was a, a touch of some low block that Loudon was doing that the crew were able to beat obviously a different caliber of opponent, different team they had on the field for the crew. But um, I talked to Tim Bezwichenko early last week and one of the things I wanted to talk to him about was just sort of getting his thoughts 10 games into the season since it felt like a good natural time to take stock of where they just, were. Just take all my segues. Sorry. I came back ready to run on my own, I guess. I talked to Tim Vesuchenko early last week, mostly just to get, you know, take stock of what he thought 10 games into the season. Um, it's a little less than a third of the way, but a bye week 10 games in is a good opportunity to see where things are. And he was optimistic about what they had shown at times and felt, you know, positive about going forward. But one of the things that he said was, you know, the biggest question that they have to face right now is how they break down a low block and teams have identified that if they are able to score first against the crew, they can sit back. And both he, he, Bez said last week and Wilfried said today that they know that that's a natural response to how the crew want to play. Like when you're playing against a team that wants to have the ball sitting back against it and, you know, forcing them to break you down is kind of the way to do it. If you're able to go up first. Um, So, you know, Wilfried and Bez both expressed that they, 
believe in their ability to solve it, that they knew this was something they were going to have to face at some point this year with the way that they play. Did the coach talk about how he handled this in in Montreal? Um, He didn't talk about it specifically. That's a good question, though. It's something I should have asked him because they did face it in Montreal. And and the other thing, did did they speak about potential solutions? I know they're not going to get too deep into their... uh, Yeah, they kind of talked about, you know, whether it's they need to when they are able to draw the team out, strike more quickly um, before they're able to set back into that low block or having a little bit more patience. This was something that really frustrated Wilfried um, in the Miami game. It was the first time I'd seen him really express frustration and disappointment with their performance, even in games that they'd lost. He'd kind of always you know, found the positives, looked at the bright side, especially early on in the year. We know that he's not overly concerned with the results and it's more about the process. And he thought they got away from their process in the second half against Miami, which is what really bothered him. Um, he thought they were rushing, which... I, it, I kind of had to think about what he meant by that because when you watch them play, it felt like they were almost being too patient and waiting too long to take shots. But what he meant was when they did find an opening, they were often just taking shots from 20, 25 yards out that immediately then gave the ball back to Miami and they were able to kind of reset and they weren't creating sequences that actually challenged Miami's defenders to make decisions about where they were going to go and opened up better opportunities. Um, so he was frustrated by that and he then gave... It was pre-planned before they lost to Miami that they had four days off after that. So everybody got a bit of a break to get um, some mental freshness. And you can certainly see it in how they are you know, walking around now. Everybody seems a little bit refreshed from having that break, which I think also helps in the problem of breaking down that low block because it felt a little bit, you know, since they faced it in Charlotte as well, it's kind of like they were still just banging their heads against the same wall without any solution to it. Okay. Who did they play last night in, in the U.S. Open Cup game in Ludown? And, and uh, I asked that because you know we know how these lineups go in, in the uh, in the U.S. Open Cup games, the midweek games. But I'm also uh, curious. I asked that too because uh, Wilfried was very happy with with the way they played. Is it possible to gather any momentum? I begin with their lineup. Yeah, um, I will begin with the lineup. It was a weaker lineup than they had ran um, for the. They first. also played against ten for well, right? Uh, so it's. Personnel-wise, it was um, fewer regulars than they had used even in the first Open Cup game, though it's different. That game was at home. This game is on the road. Um, and that Indy 11 game led into they just had one more and then a bye week, whereas this kicks off like quite a heavy sequence for them. Right. We'll get to um, that in a second. So you they can, had... You can just calm down and we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, they had Evan Bush in goal wearing the captain's armband as well. Um, they sort of a makeshift back three. They had uh, Melda Amundsen, who is a uh, wing back, playing as the left-sided center back, a little bit of the Steven Marrera type role because Steven Marrera was unavailable. Um, he left the Miami game with a knock. Wilfried, is, he's been in training, and they think he might be available on Saturday. Middle of the back three, Phil Quinton, and then Gustavo Vaisia on the right side, which we have not, it's his natural position is not somewhere we've seen him play. Um, a kind of a 3-5-2 for them. So then they had Yao Yaboa, a midfield three of Isaiah Prente, Sean Zawadzki, and Thomas Roberts, who is with Crew 2 and came in on a short-term loan for this game. Um, and then Mo Farsi on the right. And then they had Christian Ramirez and Max Arfston up top. And and he was quite pleased with... He was pleased, specifically in the first half. He was less pleased with their second half when they had opportunities to extend. So they... Yaoyaboa scored the opener in the sixth minute. And by the tenth minute, um, Loudon was issued a red card... Um, they pulled one of their defenders pulled down Mo Farsi as he was getting in alone on goal. Clear, straight red. Ref gave it immediately. Um, so that from that point on, the crew were kind of rolling. And Wilfried actually said something interesting both last night and reiterated it this morning that while of course he's pleased with the win, he's pleased with the way they played, 
he didn't love the early red card because he wanted to challenge his team against a full strength opponent. He wants it to be a maximum difficulty for them. And by the time the red card happened, it was all just a bit easy for them, especially in the first half. I mean, they were up four, nothing before the half hour mark. It was five, nothing at 36 minutes. Um, Loudon really didn't create much. Even in the second half, they got their one goal. Uh, it was a five, one win for the crew. Loudon got their one goal on a penalty in the 86th minute that Jake Morris conceded. Um, but beyond the crew had a couple looks to extend their lead, but nothing super threatening. They kind of lost the sort of clinical finishing they'd had in the first half and looked a little less coherent and cohesive, um, which Wilfried wasn't super thrilled by. But obviously a 5-1 win is something that they, even though it's a very different group than we'll see on Saturday, is something that they hope to kind of build on just from an energetic momentum perspective. Okay, we'll, we'll just stick with the U.S. Open Cup for a second. Yeah. Uh, there's a draw coming this afternoon, correct? There sure is a draw at two o'clock um, for the round of 16. And from this point on, this is the last draw other than when they have to decide who hosts in the semifinals and the finals. But right. the bracket that comes out of this draw is the bracket for the rest of the way. The crew are in a group with FC Cincinnati, the New York Red Bulls and the Pittsburgh River Rounds. So we will find out at about sometime between two and two thirty um, where the crew are headed or who they're hosting if they're hosting. And what that's going to look like, that game would be either May 23rd or 24th. Okay. All right. Well, uh, it could be hell gets real quick. It's going to get real soon enough anyway. Yes. One thing, circling back to uh, uh, your conversation with Tim Bezbachenko, did you get any sense uh, of what his thoughts are about his personnel and his depth, which is uh, something that you pointed out should be a concern um, through 10 games? Yeah. So he said that he thinks they, he kind of said, I think we have depth on this team. We'll see this upcoming busy stretch. We'll test them. Um, would have loved to ask a follow-up question, but he had another appointment he needed to get to. So we got off the phone very shortly after that. And I was not able to get a follow-up and dive into the question of the depth. Cause it is something that I am wondering about, particularly right now um, along the back line. So they had both Milos Steganek and Steven Marrera come out injured from the Inter-Miami game. Um, Milos is not back in training. Wilfried said on Tuesday that he still has some pain and they're not sure when he'll be back. Steven Marrera, as I said, has been in training. They're going to see if he's able to play on Saturday. That's a possibility. Um, and then in the very last minute of last night's game, Philip Quinton, one of their very few remaining true center backs, goes down with an ankle injury literally in the last minute. Um, Wilfried said it's not as bad as it looked last night, and they think he might be able to play on Saturday, but they'll have to see. Oh, that turf. That, that, turf. that turf, it'll get you. So now uh, um, coming off this U.S. Open Cup game, this 5-1 to one victory, um, and uh, that was on the heels of uh, a little uh, a change in the program from, well, you know, a, a stumble, if you will. They now they face, um, after a, a, a bit of rest and, and back at training, um, you know, this week, they face, they have a tough rest of the month here, um, beginning yeah. with uh, a home game against Orlando Saturday at 7.30. And just to continue on with that, they have the Galaxy on Wednesday um, at 7.30, and that's also home. And then they're at Cincinnati um, on the 20th. Uh, rugged little road to hoe there. Um, yeah. And then even after that, then they have the open cup game midweek the following week, yeah. then they'll play three and eight the week after that. So it could be um, right now they're guaranteed to play after winning last night. It'll be nine games between May 10th and June 10th and could be if they win their next round of the open cup, it would be 10 games in that span. Um, so it's a game basically every three days, which is 
a heavy load. Um, and we'll keep our eye on how they handle that. Yeah, it's going to be a huge question for them. It's busy kind of for every team at this point of schedule. I mean, they're not the only teams, obviously, that are playing the MLS matches midweek. Um, though there are only, I guess it would be 14 MLS teams that are still in Open Cup because there are two USL teams that advanced. So busy kind of for everybody right now. Um, but it's going to be a huge test for the crew to see how they handle it, especially with the injuries that have started to kind of, in a subtle way, pile up. You kind of don't think of them as being super injured. And then I look at the injury report every week and I'm kind of stunned by how many names are on it. Um, guys like Josh Williams, Kevin Molino, Luis Diaz are still out. Um, they were running today at training, um, with one of the trainers, but I don't think they'll be back really anytime soon. Kevin is working his way back from a knee surgery that he had in mid March. Um, and I believe the original timeline on that was six to eight weeks. So near ish to a return, but probably still a few weeks away. Um, Josh Williams has a stress fracture in his foot that is kind of coming and going as far as what he's able to do. Luis Diaz has a back thing that we have not really ever gotten a clear timeline on or anything. He's sometimes out there. He's sometimes not. He has been both days this week, which is presumably promising that he's working his way back. Aloy Room is still out injured. Um, asked for an update on that today because a few weeks ago, Aloy Room was back in training and Wilfried kind of said he was nearing a return and then it must have flared up or something. I couldn't get Wilfried to be more specific than just his status is the same. He's still rehabbing from the injury. I have not seen him out at training since um, April 19th. We only get access one or two days a week. So it's possible he's been out there on other days. But as far as what we've been able to see, it's been several weeks since he's been with the group. So they're coming off a home loss to Miami. And they have another Florida team coming in, Orlando, where their playoff hopes ultimately died, although they were crushed well before then last year. And a really good atmosphere is developed at the LDC, as the kids call it. What are you looking at for a lineup here on Saturday night? Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. The one thing I think we can guarantee is it'll be Patrick Schulte and goal. Um, that's kind of not a question right now with Aloy out. We spoke to Patrick at length this morning. So that's usually an indication of if we're talking to them in the press comments, they'll probably play. Um, Backline, real question mark with the injuries to Degenek, Quinton, and Marrera. Um, if they're able to have Quinton and Marrera, then it would be Gustavo Vallese on the left, Phil Quinton in the middle, Steven Marrera on the right. If they don't have Quinton and Marrera, and they, we know they won't have Degenek, then it really is a big question. And maybe Wilfried Nancy has to go away from the three in the back, which I thought he might have done last night when I saw the lineup because it was just Quinton and Vallecia as true center backs. And Mel Amundsen, as far as I know, has never played center back, or maybe he has at other points. We have not yet had an opportunity to speak with him, but when they lined up on the field with him playing alongside Phil Quinton in the back three, I was like, okay, should have known that Wilfried Nancy was not going to go to a back four. Um, but he might have to this week. I don't know. They're really, I mean, they've got Keegan Hughes as an option at center back. Um, Jake Morris can play left center back. Who else do they have? Xavier Zenge is down with crew two. They could bring him in on a short-term loan. I mean, they're very, very thin at that position right now. Um, so that's kind of the first question and really the biggest one for this weekend. I would expect the central midfield to be normal. Darlington and Aiden, neither of them played last night. Um, potential, they might work in Sean Zawadzki there. He, or Isaiah Parente. Isaiah Parente was really, really excellent last night. Had two goals, was working really well with Christian Ramirez. They each had Parente set up. Christian Ramirez's goal and Ramirez set up both of Parente's. So that was a really good interplay that they had working there. Um, Yagabella also was really, really good last night. He only played the first half, which probably sets him up to start on Saturday. Right. Um, he had the first goal and was playing like a man possessed with some of the best play I've seen from him. He, he needs to be possessed. <laughs> he's really started. I, we talked to Wilfried about it both last night and this morning, and he's talked about how 
they've challenged Yao to play more with more freedom and try to build up his confidence because he does have the one thing about Yao is he has incredible technical skill on the ball. He can do things that few other players on this team can, especially when he comes to beating guys off the dribble and the kind of things he's able to create for himself. Um, and he was doing a lot of that last night, which is what they want out of that wing back position. They want at least right now, more of a winger minded person than a fullback minded person in that spot. So Yagaboa fits that well. Um, and he was quite good last night. So we could see him um, could also see, I would expect that we'll see Melda Amundsen on um, Saturday. So it's a possibility. Maybe they'll stick with the same sort of Yaboa playing the left wing back and Amundsen on the left side of the back three. It was again, I think the first time he'd ever done it and it looked reasonably comfortable. Um, certainly something they could try out. And that's a player I think they want obviously to get involved after bringing him in from New York city after Will Sands got hurt. Um, up front would presume Lucas Elrayon, Cucho Hernandez, sort of the normal situation there. Alex Matan is fine after he left Miami's game also with a bit of a knock. He had a, a sort of a knee on knee contact, um, mm-hmm. left him a little bruised, but he's been fine this week. So I would expect to see him in as well. Well, will this uh, team that's, uh, that has a record of four, four and two, will they, will they go to a four, four, two? No, that's not a real question. It's I not a real question, but it is an intriguing question. A- anyway, um, uh, it seems it seems like given the injuries that Bez might have to get busy. It does, but it's I mean they're kind of they're they're stuck with what they have until the summer right. window opens, yes, and by obviously. that yeah. and by that point, you know, the, none of these injuries really seem long term. I mean, Steven Marrera is most of the way back. Milos Dragonek, I think it's a minor hamstring thing from what I saw with the way he came off the field. So he'll be back presumably soon-ish. So they kind of just have to grit their teeth through this stretch. And of course the depth is something they are going to address in the summer, but by the, t- I would think based on how it's looking right now, by the time they're able to get in any reinforcements, it won't be so much of a problem anymore because they'll be healthier. Yeah, you got to take advantage of their home games now while they can. Yeah. yeah. Several home games coming up. They do have some depth um, with crew two that they can call on in limited spurts. I think those guys can play. I think they can be on the match day roster four times and play twice before they have to get signed to a first team deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of, that's an option, but it all, right, all right. Any other crew ground you want to cover before we hit a couple points of league news? We'll hit league news. And if I think of anything else on the crew, we can circle back. Well, there were tremors. Uh, it was a little early in the season to see coaches fired, but, uh, two of them went down on Monday. Um, the red bulls are in last place and, uh, Gerhard Struber got fired. Um, and, uh, in Chicago, this one raised my eyebrow, and it was this one was surprising to me that uh, Ezra Hendrickson was relieved of his duties, um, and it's it's uh, you have to put it relieved of his duties because it's too difficult to headline to say the fire fire Hendrickson. Anyway, um, he's a uh, he was on the cruise uh, at the end of a long and excellent career. He he was on the cruise uh, double in two thousand eight and. Uh, he was an assistant with Ziggy out in Seattle, and he was assistant here with Caleb Porter before he got the job in Chicago. Um, good dude, fine coach, a lot of respect for him in the locker room. Um, they'd won two games. What are they? Two, three, and five. Um, penchant for blowing leads late, penchant, and, and uh, there's a little. Seems to be a little friction between Hendrickson and and the sporting director there, and and. Uh, he decided the, the the boss decided not to wait and, and let him go. I was a little surprised about that. 
I was very surprised about that. I mean, obviously the results on the field have not been what they've wanted and people are now kind of poking fun at an Ezra Hendrickson quote, I believe from after they blew a lead at Atlanta where he said, um, like when you go into the boiling water, you're either an egg who gets like, you know, a hard boiled egg gets cooked in the hot water versus a potato that gets like softened and crushed by hot water. It was some wild quote like that. That's awesome. So that's been making the rounds in the wake of him being fired. It's a tough one for me. I kind of feel, and I am not, a major student of what's going on in Chicago. So this is, you know, things that I've read, things that I've just picked heard, up on, yeah. picked up on my own. It feels a lot like he was dealt a bad hand. And then, you know, when it didn't work out, they made it his fault. Yeah. I mean, he's got Brian Gutierrez has been really, really good for them. But the fact that they have a U 20 player playing over Shakiri, who's their, you know, DP sitting on the bench is not Ezra Hend- like Ezra Henderson didn't make that signing. That's a sporting director thing. So, they really like none of their DP signings have really worked out. They have a 20 year old, 19 year old goalkeeper starting and an 18 year old starting attacking midfielder, neither of whom they released for the U 20 world cup, presumably because they think they couldn't be getting better results on the field. But I don't know. It's a tough one for me. That one surprised me. The Red Bulls one, unless you have anything else you want to say about the Chicago, I'll transition us to the Red Bulls. Well, no, I, other than, um, you know, it wasn't too long ago when, um, uh, the previous coach was letting games slip in Columbus and, uh, uh, you know, down at the end of the bar, there you'd, you'd see a couple crew fans scratching their head, going, "Man, could have could have had an Ezra here, you know, and, you know, and he should have pulled the trigger earlier, things like that." It's just uh, he's well respected, and and uh, uh, that that was a power struggle. The the boss is going to win, you know. Yeah, it's again, it's a tough one for me because I am kind of inclined to say that if a team is blowing late consistently, it does become a coaching problem at some point. But I don't know that they gave him enough leash to solve it oh, this you, early in the season can, with the roster that they've got. Well, they the Frank Clopper comes back through the revolving door in Chicago for, for his, like the eighth time. Yeah, first. Well, I think it's three. I think it's three, it's, but it's funnier if I but say. But they eight. they they tend to go through coaches, so they don't stick with them for very long. Um, and. Uh, We'll see how long he lasts in this in this iteration. He's, he's another yeah, one. They, they kind of already said, you know, through the end of the year. So they're buying themselves a lot of time, I guess, to figure out the long-term solution there. Um, the New York Red Bulls have also said that Troy Lassane, who they have promoted from assistant coach after firing Gerhard Struber, will be their coach for the rest of the year. But I'm more inclined to think that that is an audition for the head coaching job. Um, I think they like him a lot from you know things that I've read. And the Red Bulls are in sort of a different spot than Chicago. Obviously, they're at the bottom of the table, which is not good. But their underlying numbers suggest they should be doing a lot better. So it wouldn't shock me to see them go on a bit of a run of results here. And then everybody thinks the new coach is a genius when really it was probably going to work out regardless, though. I do think they needed to move on from Struber with the way he handled um, the Dante Van Zier racial slur situation. And the, the Red Bull sporting director said that didn't play a role in his firing, but it's hard to think that it didn't just with the, right. the chaos that it seemed to cause in the locker room. I mean, when you watch the video of that incident, um, you can see Carlos Cornell, their goalkeeper. You don't know what he's saying, but you can presume it seems from the video. Carlos Cornell comes over, is talking to Gerhard Struber. Dante Van Zier is also standing next to Gerhard Struber. And Cornell seems to be, you know, emphatically trying to get some sort of message across to Struber. And Struber shoves him away, or not shoves, but, you know, shoes him away. And certainly the, the hunch, the assumption there is that Cornell is imploring his coach to remove Van Zier from the game, which Struber didn't do. And I think that I don't think that went over well in the locker room. And I don't think you know the whole situation obviously didn't go over well in the locker room. Nobody wants someone on their team who has said a racial slur and appears to not be super remorseful about it. 
Um, so that was kind of, it seemed like an untenable situation for a variety of reasons. And Struber's, I don't know if you saw it, Struber's statement was weird. He said something about like, I informed Red Bulls at the beginning of the season that I wanted to go back to Europe after the year. So like this was going to happen at some point, basically like he was just saying I had one foot out the door the whole time and the whole thing was just odd. Yeah. Well, got to run the system then. It's all about, it's all about that. I do think, um, from what I have heard other people say about Torresian and actually when the crew were needing to make a hire in the off season, I had a couple people consistently in my Twitter mentions telling me they needed to take a look at Troy Lassane. So he's someone that, you know, people on Twitter seem to like, um, I know he was successful with New Mexico in the USL. Um, he's a guy who you know, didn't come up through the Red Bull way. He's only been there for, I think like a year and a half now. So he might introduce them playing with the ball a little bit more. No, he won't <laughs> a little bit more. Not, they're never going to go away from the Red Bull pressing way, but at times in the past, like, like what St. Louis does, like St. Louis is a pressing team, but they do, they can play with the ball a little bit. And I think you have to be able to do a little bit of that. Cause if you're just like energy drink, soccer, maximum overdrive, like press, 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 and you never do anything with the ball, it is much, your job is much harder. All right. She's got it broken down and she has uh, at dispatch.com broken down quite a bit over the last, uh, during this bye week with, with the U.S. Open Cup games and so forth, you can see Bailey's four takeaways from the first 10 games. Um, you can see the highlights from her interview with the president and general manager, Tim Bezichenko. It's all at uh, dispatch.com. Have a look. Thank you for joining us. For Bailey Johnson and Patrick Flaherty, I'm Mike Ares. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Patrick, kick us out of here. <laughs>